Who's wrong and who's wronger? In this corner, followed by Millions James, the exploding unicorn, Breakwell. And in that corner, ignored by Millions, Steve Dodge, Rinko Levers. Hey everybody, welcome back to Wrong and Wronger. I am Steve. Putting up with killer frogs and killer birds and other animals that won't shut the heck up, believe us. And he is James, living a life of quiet, tranquil serenity, Breakwell. And James, I gotta ask you, how's your morning going so far? Today is the last day of school. So, <laughs> I don't know, it's... I'm filled with a lot of uh, conflicting emotions, um, stress, <laughs> yes, yeah, yes. yeah, stress because of a million things going on, dread because uh, now my kids are going to be home all day, every day for like 10 weeks, eight weeks, however long it yeah. is. Eternity, uh, yeah. A little bit of jealousy because they're, they have nothing tomorrow, <sighs> just nothing. The kids are off. They are free. And that is a feeling that you and I will never know again no. until we no. retire or die. Like the idea that, hey, hey, tomorrow school is just over and nobody can bother you for two and a half months. Like that, yeah. that's not a thing. That's not a thing. We will never again know that joy in our life. Because even now at this age when we take time off – it's because we're the ones organizing that vacation or organizing that trip, and it's still on us. There's no like, hey, just take a break, and also someone else will take care of all your food and clothing and shelter for the next <laughs> two and a half months, and you just have to exist. That's what I want, yeah. Steve. I want adult summer break that somebody else has to plan and run. Can we make that a thing? <clears throat> Boy. You know, you have consistently said I live a life of luxury and uh, and uh, what do you call it when you just lay around all day? <laughs> Can't, too lazy to even think of the words. Sloth. <laughs> hey, I got people that do that stuff for me. Yeah. But uh, so I guess my life is coming to an end on June 5th and I have to join the ranks of Breakwell where there is no more time that is my own. Man. I do remember summer vacation, though. I was uh, reflecting when you were talking about that as a kid. And, uh, man, I it was always a little bit stressful for me, if I'm being <laughs> honest, because I had to figure out something to do. Like, it always felt like uh, either – because I was always the one that was organizing stuff in our neighborhood. We had a ton of kids, but I was the one that would put together, like, baseball games or kickball games or wouldn't – we would uh, like play uh, smear the unfortunate individual mm. after dark or ding dong ditch or whatever we did. I was sort of the epicenter of that. And so I would spend my day just kind of trying to figure out how are we going to kill some time here before everyone gets up and then I have to figure out what to do. So I guess in that sense, James, I don't know that I ever had a completely relaxing summer vacation. So you you were the organizer. You were the 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 chieftain of this band of miscreants. How did you, did you ruin all of their lives? I just I just imagine you leading a, a pack of like forty kids completely astray and just ruining all of their lives. Well, I, it's funny when I was young, uh, there was sort of a patriarch teenager in the neighborhood. Randy Serdinsky was no. I'm sorry, Randy Seaver. Randy Serdinsky hated Randy Seaver. They got in a fist fight once. Uh, we all got to watch that. 
But uh, Randy sort of organized everyone. And then when he graduated out, the, the torch was kind of passed to me. Because of the next tier of kids, I was the oldest. Mm. And uh, so just sort of by default, I became the organizer. And it was a bunch of miscreants. God, I remember once getting shoved around by an adult because I happened to be the oldest kid that was in, uh, involved in, in an incident that this drunken fellow took umbrage with. And the cops were called. And it was a whole big thing in the neighborhood. Like everyone, all the parents and kids assembled in my dad and mom's living room while the cops came and interviewed us. Okay, you're going to have to elaborate on this story. I feel like you left out like every single important part. Like, what <laughs> what the heck happened? Uh, well, and the guy was on the school board, which made it even more politically sensitive for him. And he was on my paper route, and he should have known me. But I think I was 13, and the next oldest in our neighborhood was a girl named Tanya. And she was a year younger than me, so she was 12. We ended up dating for Ooh. one summer, too, James Breakwell. I had the hots for Tanya for a while. But uh, we were all walking. There were probably eight of us walking on in the subdivision. We lived in a subdivision. So there was like a circle, and we lived in a cul-de-sac that sort of shot off the circle. So we would walk to the end of the cul-de-sac, walk around the circle, and just walk back. And it was after dark, and we would just walk and talk. We weren't doing anything wrong, but apparently some of the kids were too far out in the road. And Mark Shui... May he burn in hell. Mark <laughs> Shui came flying around the corner and uh, way too fast and way too drunk. And uh, he didn't hit anyone, but he like the brakes squealed like the car lurched to a stop. And all of the kids with me scattered like someone hit the head pin in a bowling alley. And just me and Tanya were left standing there. Thank you, all of my good, loyal friends. But uh, because I am chivalrous, James Breakwell, mm -hmm. I approached the car to find out what was wrong. Perhaps this fellow was having a medical emergency and needed my attention. But uh, as I approached the car, he opened the door trying to hit me with it because I remember having to jump back. And he came out like a tidal wave out of that car. And he started shoving me. Uh, I'm doing the action you can't see and like putting his finger in my chest, shoving me backwards up Chris Mutchler's yard. Chris Mutchler's dad was enormous. And I remember a few days later, I told Chris about it. And Chris's dad said, you should have rang the doorbell. I would have taken care of it. <laughs> I thought, ooh, okay. But uh, the guy was screaming at me for having everyone in the road like it was my responsibility. And I don't. I don't remember if he shoved me down on the ground or not. Maybe. Chris Mutchler's yard was kind of steep. But he finally left, and uh, that's when Tanya and I ran to my house, and I told my parents, and they called the cops. And uh, Joe Geminani, who was one of the two cops in McGuanago, Wisconsin, <laughs> he showed up. And uh, he went over and talked to him, and he came back and said, yeah, I could smell alcohol, but I don't think he was that intoxicated. But he asked if I wanted to press charges, and it was a whole big thing. And I think I ended up saying no because I wasn't really harmed. But I, I do remember that was big news out in McGuanago for a while. And uh, I hope he got kicked off the school board because I can't imagine he kept a lid on it given the number of people that knew about the attack, James. <laughs> Man, you held the future of the school board in your hands, and you let it slip through your fingers. You could have, you could have leveraged that, man. You could have had a get out of detention free card for the entire year. When you control a school board member, Steve, you control the world.
<laughs> I do remember he was he called the house like it, everyone knew everyone back then. My dad was pretty prominent in town too, so he called the house a couple times wanting to apologize to me. I don't think I ever talked to him after that. But yeah, he was uh, he was pretty bent out of shape about it, as you can imagine, he was wont to be. For uh, for the record, even even in Wisconsin, uh, where there is a bar every fifteen feet by law, <laughs> you are not allowed to run over groups of children in the street. Like that's not a thing. <laughs> yeah, that's an excellent point, James. I'm glad you clarified that for the listener. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. You, know, you know, I, I guess uh, it, it, it's funny because, you know, you get so many different discourses on Twitter. There's a big anti-car discourse on there, which, you know, I, I'm pro-car. I like cars. I don't like walking. Leg, legs are the worst. But uh, they, they'll go through like how uh, cars really kind of stole the road and that once upon a time, really the, the way it went back when laws were written, like the road was for everybody, including pedestrians. And yeah, if you're crossing the road, you, you don't walk down the road anymore because, you know, you will be run over, legal or not. But yeah, you can't you, you can't just blame a group of kids for being on or near the road, that just, especially being on yeah. the school board. I feel like and I feel like he should have been aware. That, I guess maybe the standards for drinking were different then. I guess they don't give breathalyzers, make you walk in a line. The cop just smells your breath and makes a judgment call. But still, yeah. I think. Knowing that you had some drinks in your system, I think you want to be on your best behavior after you slam on your brakes and come a few inches from almost committing vehicular manslaughter. Yeah, I don't know if he had a fight with his wife that night or not, but those things didn't occur to me while I was getting my ass kicked in Chris Mutchler's yard, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Oh, so it's, we, we've we've escalated now from shouting and pushing to a a proper beating. Every every time you retell this story, it gets worse and worse. And I've only heard it twice or two and a half times because the first time you didn't include any any details. There was just there was just a sit down in a living room, and I I was left to fill in the blanks. And I could have left it there because apparently you're you just you like to build the suspense. But I thought the listener deserved to know. You know. I'm remembering this scene as you're blathering on nonsensically <laughs> over there talking about my fish story while I was nearly hospitalized. <laughs> but uh, Tanya had a friend. <laughs> so here's what a louse a 12 year old boy is. Tanya had a friend named Jody. Should I say her last name? You've Probably said not. like 19 I'm, last uh, names already. What, this was what? in 1979. Man. My God, Jody Blankenheim. And I really that summer had the hots for Jody Blankenheim. She, because this was after dark and uh, everyone in the cul-de-sac kind of collapsed in my parents' bedroom, she came over too. She was staying over at Tanya's house for a few weeks or a month or something over the summer. But she came over wearing like a long t-shirt. Apparently she was in bed already. And uh, I, I just remember thinking, man, she looks good in that t-shirt. I don't even know what she was wearing underneath it, James. But it was one of those moments that I was just glad to be alive. You uh, you caused a local political scandal, and you were just worried about your romantic life. This this does not surprise me at all. Your priorities were forever skewed, and this is this is how you cause chaos in a small town. You just unleash the Steve Olivas of your community and see what happens. It's like it's like you know shaking up a jar full of two insects to see if they fight. That's that's what was happening here. <laughs> But that's one of my favorite summer vacation memories. I haven't told that story in 30 years. I haven't even thought about it. It's funny that as I shook the jar of my head, that was one of the stories that shook loose. Do you have any good summer vacation when you were a kid stories? Related directly to summer vacation, I, 
I mean, I never, never had the police called on me or called the police because I am a <laughs> law-abiding citizen, and that's not how it works. Um, nothing, nothing of that magnitude. Um, I do remember there was a. <laughs> I uh, I made friends with this kid. His um, his dad or his grandpa was a insurance agent to the stars. Like uh, think like Muhammad Ali and stuff. Like who's Muhammad Ali's? insurance guy well it was this kid's yeah, grandpa like, it's the most it. tenuous wow. connect you know connection <laughs> and he for whatever reason he was from like my random town in the middle of uh in the middle of illinois and my town was dirt poor and uh, had nothing good in it except an artificial lake and so apparently once upon a time back when he had this money he had he had bought the biggest thing of lakefront property there it was like 300 feet of lakefront property it was like five Ooh. acres right on the lake and, he was uh, the king of that town. Yeah, well, but he wasn't though. He was like nobody really liked him. <laughs> so I remember there was one summer. I don't know. I just wanted to hang out at home and read or play computer or be lazy. And he oh would just he would he would just show up. Like all right, let's go do something. I was like, ah, gotta go play with this kid in his gigantic lake house down at the, all of this Jeez. waterfront property. My life is so hard. <laughs> you know what though? Looking back. It was wild because, you know, by that point it was like second generation wealth. And I don't know if his, his dad, like, his dad made cabinets, I think, and I don't think his mom ever worked. Um, so they had this huge, like, it was, a, it was a weird house. So, like, you think about, like, a, it was probably six or 7,000 uh, square feet, but it was a ranch. Like, you think about that now, like, at 6,000 or 7,000 square foot, that's like two or three stories, you know, maybe the finished basement. Wow. This was all just one story the whole way across. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, he didn't have a. He didn't have a, a dock or a boat, uh, which blows what? my mind. Yeah, they, they were. They were like the kings of the lake, and they didn't have a boat. <laughs> the one time we did stuff with the water, uh, this is a very on-brand story for him. The one thing he did with the water <laughs> is he built a ramp and jumped his bike into it. <laughs> there was no pier. I mean, everybody else had pier. Oh, you mean like where like a like a public boat dock type thing? No, like he built a pier no, out into the water. They didn't. I don't well, get it. I don't know why his grandpa didn't <laughs> or his mom and dad didn't. I guess they just water is for looking, not for using. And if you're him, then you just you just get some boards and put it out there and get a cheap bike <laughs> and jump it into three feet of water and then hurt yourself because like a bike is not made for water impacts. And so the, <laughs> you hit the water and the bike stops first and then you hit the bike and then you both stop and then the chain falls off. And then you got to drag a bike out of mucky water. Yeah, that was, oh. that was, there were all sorts of ways to hurt yourself at his house. There was another story. I remember that we used to play, uh, you ever played ditch? It was just hide and go seek in the dark, which is, I mean, you're just, yeah, gonna, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're just asking to hurt yourself. I don't know why we, I mean, of course, I know why we played it because, because you hurt yourself, but that was, uh, he had, so, so part of this thing was like a giant ravine with woods in it. So I probably a couple acres of this property were woods and the other half was the steepest hill you've ever seen because it led down to the lake. And, uh, <laughs> We were playing. We were playing that in the dark with flashlights, and uh, I was hiding like in a ditch within the ravine. And this kid came looking for me, and he had me spotted. He had me dead for rights, and he had his flashlight, but he wanted to sneak up on me. So he turned his flashlight off, and he started running. <laughs> and I hear, "Oh, ow, ow!" And he starts saying some swearing and some thumping. 
And then I see the flashlight turn back on. I see it through the stagger and bounce up and down as he slowly limps away. That was, that was, that was the story of his house in a nutshell. It was just an injury waiting to happen. So I really, I probably, probably should have enjoyed that place more than I did. But I really, I just wanted to stay home, Steve. Home, home is where it's at. That's how the proper vacation is spent. Wow, you've been you your whole life, James. <laughs> I have. I have not changed one bit since I was born. But yeah. God, I remember I organized. We had a big wide driveway and a basketball mm-hmm. goal, and I organized an event called the Big One. And uh, it was like a big game where all the kids in the neighborhood came. And I got this was before like Vista Print or. Uh, uh, Queensboro, all those t-shirt companies. Like uh, I got a t-shirt that read, I was MVP at the big one. (laughs) And my dad participated and it was a big basketball tournament in my driveway. And we played it out one weekend and I can't remember who won, but I do remember Ken Phillippe, who was the only kid, the only human who that t-shirt would not have fit. (laughs) He won the MVP of the big one. And I remember he had the T-shirt slung over his shoulder as he walked off into the sunset. But these were the kinds of things we did. We were communal. We were not singular, like James Breakwell, isolated, holed away in his room, squirreled with a flashlight and a book in a corner. I I had that phase, but it was it was earlier. By the time I was you know twelve or thirteen, I had settled into being antisocial. I was in like a whole new community, (laughs) building a whole new life. Uh, but when I was little, like uh, preschool through second grade, I uh, so I've lived on a college campus twice in my life. Well, the first time was when my dad hurt his back farming, and he ended up going to college. He went in with two kids and came out with four, which is not the way to do that. Uh, but wow. we, we lived in married student housing, so everybody, and he was old for married student housing, but not super old. He was in his 20s, seemed ancient at the time. Never, but everybody else there who was married, you know, that, you get married and you pump out kids. So there were just tons and tons of kids everywhere. Mm. Mm-hmm. And the apartments were built like an amphitheater on hills around a sandbox and a circle of sidewalk that you could ride around huh. on your bikes like all day. And I was <laughs> I was like you. I was the oldest of that group. Yeah. And the second oldest was also a girl who lived next door, and she was one year younger than me. And Ooh. together we organized all the activities. And that was and we okay. did that for years. I mean, it seemed like an eternity, but really it was just till I was in second grade. And then I moved away and started over in Illinois. And we lived in a really bad neighborhood, and we got robbed the first time we drove back to Iowa oh. for Thanksgiving. And that's when I stopped hanging out with people in the neighborhood. And then we, you know, we, we moved three <laughs> or four times again like that. But there was never, you know, we were no longer in like an apartment complex with a group of kids. You were in, you know, individual spots where nobody knew their neighbors, and it was probably best that way. So that phase of my life was over. Wow. So then, when when the guy with the lake house started coming by, it was kind of jarring. And he was, uh, but it was also though, because he was like, he was, he wasn't an only child, but he only had one sibling and she was a sister and she was a lot older than him. So he was effectively an only child. So he was looking for somebody to entertain him. And like, I didn't need to be entertained because I had, I had a thousand siblings to terrorize me and to terrorize in return. So then when he, he would come around fishing, it's like, all right, I guess I'll add you and entertain you as well. So it was, (laughs) that's, that was kind of what was going through my head at the time. He's actually, he's, he's the reason I messed up my knee or the, the start of it we were out riding our bikes on some uh, country road for no reason where it was 
it, it was it was asphalt, but it was asphalt with like a drop off, like a two or three inch drop off on the side. It just you know it, it just straight cut down, and my wheel drifted off of that, and my bike tire twisted at a ninety oh. degree angle. I basically jackknifed my own bike and went flying over the top and tore up all the muscle around my knee, and that was you know. I probably could have skipped that bike ride for the next 30 or 40 years of knee trouble it gave me. Probably could have just stayed home that day and watched some TV. I think that would have been the better outcome. Man, you're lucky you didn't de-nut yourself going like with the handlebars shooting backwards like that. The, the, the hand rest, the grip, that yeah. thing comes backward like a javelin, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know what? Uh, bikes are dangerous. I mean, you just let's let a kid go as fast as possible on this really narrow base. And also, this was back in the day when helmets weren't a thing. You just rode. I mean, your head no. was there to break your fall. It's the hardest part of your body <laughs> for a reason. <laughs> Man, I remember we used to race down the... My parents' driveway was at the end of the cul-de-sac. Like, it was perfectly square with the road. And so we would get on our bikes and race from my parents' driveway to the stop sign, except the stop sign was... It was at a live road. It was <laughs> perpendicular. So there would be a century posted at the stop sign, and we would come flying down the road, and... Best case scenario, there wasn't a car coming, and we could sort of cross that perpendicular road, jump the curb on the other side, and sort of coast to a stop in the field out there. But I remember getting a good head of steam. I don't remember who I was racing, but the century called out, car! And I hit the brakes because I was too close. And I remember I slid along the asphalt and got really super bad road rash on my leg and my arm. And I limped home. I don't remember how my bike got home. One of my, the miscreants probably brought it behind me. But my mom, because she loves me and wants the best things for me, her and Mark, we have a few things in common, that uh, she sprayed this stuff that burned like fire oh. on that road rash. And I remember screaming and crying. And she didn't relent, James. She kept pushing forward. And I think she dug a few rocks out of my skin, oh. like when Mrs. Steve dug the thorns out of my face when the Blackberry tried to rip my face off. And it was it was a bad few days. Road rash takes a while to heal, and it, it comes back with a vengeance when you get in the bathtub <laughs> or in the shower. And I remember not being able to sleep for a couple nights because it was so painful to have the sheets touch my skin. It was bad. I hate bikes, too. Yeah, like all all my worst childhood bet memories involved bikes, apparently. You know, it wasn't just going off that ramp. It wasn't just flying off my handlebars. There was another time, probably the worst idea I had my entire childhood that seemed like the best <laughs> idea. And this was one that I did organize. We decided to play bike tag. If you play tag what? on bikes... Like, think of the size oh, of the area. Like, you're not playing in somebody's yard, not even a big yard. Like, our area of operations, our quadrants, were like a half mile by a half mile. Like, this is a giant area of land with a substantial number, you know. And, and it, it was a grid area, so you could spot somebody a half mile away. Like, you could see them and get up a good head of steam. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So you, know, you see you're probably, even on old bikes, you're probably playing tag at 10 or 15 miles an hour. And it ended exactly like you'd think it would. I think uh, one of my brothers <laughs> toppled over and went skidding a good distance on the road and got road rash, and we never played it again. It's like, well, that was a terrible <laughs> idea. <laughs> now, did a little part of you, was it entertained when you saw your brother with the road rash? No, I was just mad that he ruined my great idea. That was a solid game until somebody oh. inevitably got hurt in the first eight minutes, you know. But for eight glorious minutes, it was the best thing I'd ever done.
This was your idea? It was my idea. I guess I did organize things from time to time, and it blew up in my face, and that's why I stopped. It's a liability thing, Steve. You never want to be the person in charge. Oh, God, you and me. I We understand that for sure. How old be, uh, how many years younger is your next oldest brother? They're the, the first clump of them are every two years. So it's two years, two years, two years to the sister after that. And then there's question marks. We were actually talking about this the other day. We're not, we're not sure how much time is between four and five and five and six. But I know the what? distance from seven to me because seven was born when I was about to graduate college. There's 22 years between me and the last one. But then in between there, it gets kind of murky. Wow, so your youngest brother is looking forward to summer vacation coming up too, right? Yeah, he has a couple summer vacations left. I don't think he's ever ridden a bike in his life, so he will live forever. I think as you went down the line in my family, we became more and more sedentary and to the point where like they don't even get out of chairs. <laughs> they just they just live there. They they are forever in the seated position and good for them. You've got siblings more sedentary than you? I am an active sibling by comparison. Okay, don't let my my charming self-deprecation fool you. I I spend an hour, seven days a week in the gym. And yes, in the gym, I am sitting on a machine and not walking around or running. But there is an effort made. And there are, there are levels of exertion lower than that. And that would be the last two siblings in line who mostly just sit still and stare at a screen. They have eliminated all extraneous physical activity from their life. And I, I have to say, I admire them for that wow you know you uh, we got to get rolling here <laughs> pardon the pun of what i'm about to say but you're right kids don't ride bikes anymore i remember now my daughter's 26 i taught her how to ride a bike and that's a funny story that ended with tragedy <laughs> but i remember trying to teach my son to ride a bike and just sort of giving up on it and when he was a late teenager he sort of just figured out how to ride a bike but he's <laughs> never ridden a bike I think my daughter rode a bike for a minute, but that's it. Kids don't live on their bikes anymore, James. It's a sad passing of the torch from dangerous, possibly flirting with death, to now being sedentary and completely safe, insulated from anything that could possibly cause you harm. Because we know that you always vote for child endangerment, whether it's on a bike <laughs> or walking down the road being almost run over. We, we know where you stand on the issue. <laughs> Concussions didn't affect us none, and that... <laughs> will be the end of another scintillating episode a summer vacation preview episode of wrong and wronger until we meet again and we go deep into the summertime summertime as mungo jerry sang years ago this is steve dr steve pulling song references that nobody understands believe us and james way too young to have listened to a radio break well saying thanks for watching thanks for listening and remember as always two wrongs can make a right